0: I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland.
1: This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain.
2: On December 31st, 2011, there was a small New Year's Eve party held in Skyway, Washington, which borders South Seattle. Among the nine or so attendees was Benjamin Colton Barnes, 24, who was there with two friends. Over the course of a few hours and many drinks, the conversation among a few at the party turned to guns. Nearing 3 a.m., quote, a kind of show and tell with the guns, unquote, began, and one of the group asked to examine the gun of another man. After checking the pistol out, he then refused to return it to its owner. And a quick hot tip for our listeners, don't let people play with your guns. Little pieces of metal can fly out of them at any moment, and they go pretty fast.
1: Or play with anyone's gun, for that matter.
2: Voices were raised, the sparks of an argument. Almost instantly, two party guests decided that negotiations had failed. They pulled guns and began firing, hitting four partygoers. Benjamin Barnes was identified as one of the shooters, though it was not known who began firing first. Barnes fled the scene and returned to his apartment. There, he told the friends he'd driven home with that he was fleeing to California before saying his goodbyes, loading multiple firearms into his car, and taking off. Later that same morning, now New Year's Day, Barnes made one strange, brief stop, driving to the home of a romantic interest to wish her a Happy New Year before leaving Seattle for the last time. He left without incident, but when interviewed by police, the woman said Benjamin Barnes seemed unstable and volatile. There were no fatalities from Barnes' sudden mass shooting at the party that left four people injured, two of them critically. Law enforcement were quick to discover the identity of Barnes, but would not be able to pinpoint his location until he reached his terminus at an elevation of 5,400 feet. Barnes began by heading south, but instead of driving to California, he made the two-and-a-half-hour trek to a familiar place, one where he had gone camping and fishing earlier in life. Mount Rainier National Park, which has a peak of 14,410 feet, is one of many bold images that spring to mind when the Northwest is referred to as Pacific Wonderland. The park draws between 1.5 to 2 million hikers, climbers, campers, and nature lovers yearly, and is the second most visited national park in Washington and the fifth oldest in the nation. Rainier receives an average of 643 inches of snow per year, making it an excellent spot for deep, beautiful snow angels. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's the first thing that comes to my mind.
2: <laughs> there are two classes of National Park Rangers employed at Mount Rainier, Park Ranger 1 and Park Ranger 2. They are both similar in scope, with the Ranger 2 designation having a wider range of responsibility. Ranger 1's law enforcement duties include protecting park properties, writing citations, and assisting with investigations. Ranger 1's do not carry firearms, but Ranger 2's are armed. Issues also lead criminal investigations, have arrest power, conduct crowd control, and perform surveillance. Law enforcement rangers are the primary police agency of the national park system. At 7 a.m. on New Year's Day 2012, Margaret Anderson, a 34-year-old park ranger, was just about to begin her shift. She was driving the two-lane highway from the home she shared with her husband Eric and their two young daughters in Eatonville, Washington, 40 miles west of Paradise, an area in the Mount Rainier National Park, which was her beat. Paradise, at an elevation of 5,400 feet, absolutely bursts forth with gorgeous vistas and a magical mix of valleys, waterfalls, and flowered meadows. It also includes attractions like Reflection Lakes, where you can take a photo of Mount Rainier in the water like a mirror. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) We must go. There's also Dead Horse Creek Trail, and Inspiration Point, which features a breathtaking view of Rainier and other peaks of the Tatouche Range. Anderson's commute was all blue sky, high-piled snow, and a plowed but slick Highway 706, the road's curves plotted by the whims of the Nisqually River beside it, east, then north, becoming Paradise Road before reaching Longmire. The Longmire area, named after 19th-century explorer and settler James Longmire, was the park's first official headquarters. Positioned at half the elevation of Paradise, 2,700 feet, it contains the Longmire Wilderness Information Center, the Longmire Museum, the 25 Guest Room National Park Inn, and a selection of several hiking trailheads. The area was discovered when Longmire and William Packwood, his exploring partner, were tracing a route from Puget Sound to Mount Rainier in 1883. After discovering hot springs in the area, Longmire filed a claim for the land and built a homestead which eventually became the nerve center for the entire park. Crowned with the name after James Longmire's daughter-in-law exclaimed, oh, what a paradise, upon first seeing it way back in the late-ass 1800s, the name stuck. Longmire, who was the father of 11 children, 11 children, Jeez
1: Louise, (laughs) it's too many.
2: described viewing the area for the first time in this way, quote, I thought as it lay before us, covered with tall waving grass, a pretty stream bordered with shrubs and tall trees flowing through it, and the majestic mountain standing guard over all in its snowy coat. It was a scene fit for an artist. Herds of deer wandered at leisure through the tall grass. Due to ice on Paradise Road, rangers Craig Snur and Dan Kamicha at Longmire set up a tire snow chain checkpoint, which they opened at 9.30 a.m. and began allowing properly chained vehicles to pass and ascend the icy, winding road. Margaret Anderson passed the checkpoint on her way up the mountain and began her day working the public parking lot, guiding vehicles and assisting visitors with their day in paradise. At 10.20 a.m., a blue Chevy Impala blew through the road's snow chain inspection checkpoint without stopping. Ranger Kamicha said, what the shit? Jumped into his National Park Service pickup truck and sped after the driver. In pursuit, he called in the vehicle's plate, which came back clean and registered to Benjamin Colton Barnes, the New Year's Eve Seattle shooter. The Impala raced toward paradise. Kamicha called for backup, and announced the path of the chase, which would take 15 minutes to reach the Visitor's Center and Paradise Ranger Station. Ranger Anderson heard the call, radioed that she was responding, then jumped into her Tahoe and sped down to the road's nearest straightaway in an area called Barn Flats, which was only a couple of minutes away. Anderson parked the vehicle across both lanes and waited for the pursuit to reach her. When Benjamin Barnes came around a bend in the road and saw the Tahoe blocking the straightaway, He drove within striking range, pulled a quick U-turn, and climbed out of the Impala, burst firing an AR-15. Anderson was shot while still inside her vehicle, before she was able to exit. She did not return fire, but did somehow manage to drive the SUV up the road and away from the Impala, blocking off one of the road's lanes in the process. Benjamin Barnes then fired on Ranger Kamich's pickup from an obscured position when it closed in from the rear in an attempt to reach Anderson. Kamicha slammed the brakes and, having no choice, reversed a retreat to a safe distance. Four bullets had sliced a pattern into the windshield, quote, a four-corners pattern that outlined a box around Kamicha's head, but the ranger found himself unharmed. Kamicha knew his colleague needed assistance, but he could not advance, and Anderson was not responding to radio calls. He could only call his main dispatch, quote, shots fired, one officer struck. The Henry M. Jackson Visitor Center faces Paradise Road at street level and is located adjacent to the visitor parking lot Ranger Anderson had been working that morning. When the shooting began, the rangers at the visitor center shifted into full lockdown mode. They moved everyone outside inside, which was about 125 people. Visitors were forced to kneel, hands behind their heads, and search for weapons. The same was done to anyone coming down from the mountain because the shooting had taken place so nearby. Fifteen minutes on foot, and the shooter could be anywhere. He could already be among those inside the building. Thirty minutes had elapsed since Ranger Margaret Anderson had been shot, and she had made no radio contact since her encounter with Benjamin Barnes. Word was sent over all law enforcement channels from northern Oregon to the Canadian border regarding the shooting and the need for volunteer personnel. Deputies from Pierce County Sheriff's Department responded first, and they, along with Rangers Kamicha and Snur, made the choice to move in and retrieve the injured Ranger. They piled into the cab and crouched in the bed of the truck, stuffing an armor-plated vest into the windshield and a riot shield against the driver's side door. Rolling ahead, the Patchwork Tactical Team's view of the landscape around them was limited because of the hilly surroundings and the previous night's snowfall, which was piled several feet high on either side of the road and they feared the shooter firing on them from cover. Reaching the Impala, they found it abandoned. Barnes was in the wind. The group traveled on, reaching the White Tahoe and Anderson inside. After checking her pulse, one deputy radioed a simple, deafening message. Quote, She's gone. Park Superintendent Randy King received the news and then informed Ranger Eric Anderson, Margaret Anderson's spouse, who had just arrived to begin his shift. With Barnes' ascent to the mountain, he had boxed himself in and would have to traverse between six and ten miles of mountainous, snow packed terrain to get away on foot. And now, the manhunt. Law enforcement regrouped and a command center was established in Longmire. Their aim was to contain the shooter and, quote, keep him trapped up there on the mountain. Volunteers began showing up, a lot of volunteers. Eventually, 250 people amassed on the mountain from many, many law enforcement agencies, and a message had to be sent by radio for other personnel to, quote, not self-deploy. To name just some of these agencies, they included Customs and Border Patrol, Seattle PD, Department of Homeland Security, Pierce County Sheriff's Department, Washington State Patrol, FBI, and U.S. Forest Service. The park is 368 square miles in size, and the shooter could have been anywhere. Snowy conditions would limit his ability to flee the law, and rangers were concerned Barnes might kill a camper on the mountain, steal their gear, and vanish across the Cascades. Kevin Bacher, a park spokesman, said, We do not know what resources the shooter has. We're not sure what we're up against. We know that he has a weapon, but we don't know how many. Nearing 2.30 p.m., another tactical team was assembled after a deputy on watch from a bridge spotted a head along a snowy ridge which popped up, then quickly disappeared. Rainier's lead climbing ranger, Stefan Lofgren, said the sighting meant the shooter was heading west along the shoulder of the road and nearer to the visitor's center and its many occupants. Radio contact was made to about 100 people staying in cabins and lodges up and down the mountain. They were instructed to hold fast and wait for the all-clear. And then the bearcat roared onto the mountain. Provided by Pierce County sheriffs, this bad baby is a standard SWAT vehicle constructed for all terrain use and plated with armor that can stop, quote, any high caliber rifle or assault weapon round.
1: So that's like the big, tr- like the big SWAT truck you see? Yeah,
2: like the, they're usually like drab colored and yeah. they have like little slot windows. Okay. Uh, they're like the big, the big beefers that like crash into houses and stuff, I think.
1: <laughs> gotcha. When I hear. Cat on the mountain. I think of like a snow cat, like on the shining. That's what I thought it was. So first. I kind of pictured that, and I'm like, oh, this must be like the big tank-like vehicle.
2: Yeah, I thought it was going to be something that was just crawling up the mountain, but yeah, yeah, it's a big, it's a big boy. Led by a Forest Service law enforcement officer, a team of rangers made the brief ride to the parking lot adjacent to the visitor's center. They breached the center by doing what SWAT members do, crashing through the door, both heavily armed and screaming. After securing the area, those in lockdown were informed of a possible rescue but that they'd most likely be stationed in place for some time yet. While this was happening, another SWAT team converged on Barnes Impala, clipping its distributor cap to disable it. In the trunk, a deputy discovered an AK-47, a lever-action rifle, body armor, and multiple magazines and packs of ammo. A group of visitors coming down a trail were met with a SWAT team as they returned from an overnight camping trip. While checking their IDs, one member of the SWAT team advised the shocked snowshoers to quote get down and stay down, if anything happened, before being admitted into the exclusive Visitor Center lockdown party. One park volunteer named Jim Miltimore, who was at Paradise that morning, snowshoed up a cross-country trail to warn skiers of the imminent danger. That kind of casual bravery always bowls me over, without a thought, just hauling ass to help people, all the while knowing there's a likely desperate man with at least one rifle running around up there. With dusk approaching at 4.30, The command center at Longmire received word that Barnes was one of the New Year's Eve shooters. This information had finally given the ongoing incident a shape, that of a man on a death trip. Search dogs, officers on foot, and aircraft equipped with infrared technology were used to track the shooter throughout the day and into the night, a frigid one that dipped low into the 20s. Two Pierce County SWAT units tracked Barnes' trail through the snow and discovered that he had been moving all around them, He could have fired on them at any time, and his rifle would have spit out many rounds before the units had any time to react. With daylight gone at 5 p.m., teams on the ground were called back to Longmire. The Bearcat and other SWAT vehicles patrolled the surrounding roads, while volunteers scoped with night vision gear took position along the river. They had seen tracks that stopped at the water's edge and reappeared on the opposite bank. This did not bode well for Barnes. Soaked clothing, a lack of shelter, and a cold, cold night are a dangerous recipe for a quick death. The lockdown at the visitors center lasted from noon until three thirty AM the next morning, Monday, January second.
1: That would be so difficult. As that as a visitor, that confinement and Depending on how you're dressed, like if you were on the mountain camping for a week and you're headed home, and now you're just spending overnight in a visitor center, or you're
2: stuck in like snowboarding gear. Or yeah, something. yeah, that
1: would be horrific. <laughs> and I snow mean, boots. The whole thing is horrific, but that would be. I feel like that would add to panic for people if they were already feeling scared of the situation and not
0: know. I'm guessing they don't know the full story. Oh of yeah, like what's out there?
1: Just some madman on the mountain. You're like, can we just please go home? That would be really hard. That's kind of like stuck on the tarmac feeling for me. Oh, yeah. Just not being able to go.
2: I think they played a lot of fun games, though.
1: Oh, well, that's probably. good. I bet they're all friends. And they were relatively safe. They probably didn't know that the guy had been, like, creeping around the building.
0: Yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah. That he had the ability to fire on them. Yeah, and did then it. wasn't.
1: Yeah, he's like, well, I don't really want to be in a gunfight, but... So I'll he wasn't, he wasn't that
2: you. near to the visitor center. He was like close to it. So he was like on the other side of the road. Oh, but was it was where those the traps general were. area. Yeah, yeah. But very
0: close. Still, the fact that he was stalking around. Yeah, like yeah. aware yeah. of them.
2: Yeah, he. so I believe he was watching. He was surveilling the cops when they were looking for him. Yeah,
0: Which is bold mm-hmm. to be a single person. And to feel like you've got the leg the up upper hand. on their searching
1: ability. Brazen.
2: Mm-hmm. At midnight... The 125 people in the visitor center and 25 guests at the National Park Inn at Longmire began being safely evacuated by the SWAT team that had been stationed with them throughout the night. A helicopter using an infrared camera went up around 4 a.m. Beginning at the site of Anderson's shooting, the crew moved along, spotting two warm campers in a tent. Unable to communicate due to them being in the sky, the pilot dropped a note to the now even more shocked couple that, quote, a ranger has been shot, Shooter at large, take road to Falls and Sheriff. We will keep an eye on you. Do not drive from paradise without armed escort, unquote.
0: Oh, my gosh. That would have been so crazy. And dropped a note. How do you do that? Like tie it to a rock? It's
2: pretty interesting, actually. So the note wouldn't fly up into the propellers of the helicopter. He wrote a note on two plastic cups, filled them with water, and then dropped them down to the campers.
0: That's pretty clever.
1: Very clever. Yeah.
2: For hours, there was nothing. Then, at nine thirty AM, a body was spotted floating face down in Paradise Creek, in an area above Narada Falls, just a mile from Paradise as the crow flies. The co pilot, who was using the infrared camera to scan the land below, reported that quote, man, there is nothing hot in that riverbed. Three SWAT teams on snowshoes then moved in, following tracks in the snow and finally converging on the corpse, which was identified as Benjamin Barnes. At autopsy, The cause of death was determined to be drowning, exacerbated by hypothermia. He was found wearing only a T-shirt, jeans, and one shoe.
0: Oh, my goodness. Do they think that the river took that off of him or that maybe he was stripping off because he had hypothermia? Oh, I I didn't. Oh, I
2: wondered about that. Yeah, I thought the shoe maybe just came off in the snow because it was so deep. But, you know, I've heard
0: stories
1: of people with hypothermia thinking they're not cold and stripping off That's usually, that's the end is when your body is, like, thinking it's hot. And you're stripped. My brother with Search and Rescue, he's found a few bodies that were in that condition.
2: I was surprised that, I mean, it, it, I don't know how long he made it, but I was surprised that he had been running around for hours yeah. with, with that clothing on only. As far as I know, he got out wearing a T-shirt, out of the car, wearing just a T-shirt That's and intense. jeans. That's intense.
0: And to be able to get through one night like that. Yeah.
2: Even if he did, I mean, he, he might have died that night hours before yeah i I feel like i mean i don't know how long it takes a few hours to probably die from the cold if you're just exposed
1: well and depending but he's running too he was moving yeah well and you have to imagine the adrenaline yeah and the shock of the new year's gunfight and then now you're just in the you know it's not like he'd been planning on some sort of heist and then running away it was just like oh crap i'm just in this now how did it come to this yeah Yeah. the ar-15
2: barnes used to kill margaret anderson was found submerged in the creek 50 yards upstream. A cell phone without its battery was found in his back pocket and a Glock 45 magazine in a front pocket. Investigators said Barnes' path after the shooting took him in circles through chest-deep snow and icy creeks. Quote, he was not equipped to make it a night or two. FBI special agent in charge Stephen Dean said, quote, the manhunt is done. Now we have to figure out why it happened.
0: I know he's a bad guy and all, but can't help but feel really bad for his last few hours of life like he was clearly frantic
1: yeah this 24 year old kid that was probably you know i can only assume was maybe drinking at this new year's party or something and made some really bad choices and then yeah like, it's almost like seen uh, his
0: death was coming no matter what yeah they're gonna get shot by them or he's gonna
1: die due to the weather it really is kind of like a wounded animal yeah thing. like you can't get away yeah yeah it's sad
2: Benjamin Barnes was a native of Riverside County, California, which is located about halfway between Los Angeles and Palm Springs. As a teenager, he'd been expelled from high school and later, as a private in the Army, was deployed to Iraq with the 4th Brigade, 2nd Infantry Division. He was there for seven months, beginning in 2007 and ending in 2008. There, he worked as a signal support specialist, responsible for repairing and maintaining communications equipment and was fortunate enough to experience no first-hand combat. Barnes served for two years and seven months before being discharged in 2009 after he was charged with driving under the influence and transporting personal weapons improperly. Like probably waving around and stuff, it's holding them. Playing with them going, at a Woo! party. Yeah, things like that. Benjamin Barnes and his partner, Nicole Santos, had a baby in late 2010, and in 2011, she alleged in two restraining orders Possible abuse of the child after Barnes said the baby fell and days later bruises inconsistent with a fall appeared on her legs.
0: Oh, I take back what I said earlier. Mm-hmm.
2: When Santos questioned Barnes, he would not tell her the manner in which the baby fell. She also stated in court that he threatened to kill himself multiple times. Quote, Benjamin has many guns and knives in his home. The threats and his vindictive personality makes me feel unsafe. I am fearful of what Benjamin is capable of with the small arsenal he has in his home and his recent threat of suicide. As far as it went is that she got custody and that they were scheduled to, force to, and I don't know if they attended counseling and stuff uh, like that. Okay,
0: that, well, that's good at least.
2: I don't know if they ever attended. Oh. Yeah.
0: Did they reconcile?
2: No, she left him. That's good. Yeah. Santos's statement also alleges that he was verbally abusive, playing mind games with Nicole and screaming at their daughter. She took the baby and left Barnes on New Year's Day 2011. When Barnes discovered this, he texted, quote, If you come home, don't be surprised to find my brain splattered all over the walls. That text was sent one year earlier to the day of Ranger Anderson's murder in paradise.
0: That kind of alludes to his mental state, mm-hmm. um, it being a year. Like, was he spiraling?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that was a detail I learned late. That, that, I, I read about that text, but I didn't read the detail of when it was sent until, until much later in the story. But that actually that answered a lot of questions, I think. Yeah. Six months later, he texted, quote, I want to die. In photos available online, Benjamin Barnes is shown holding two guns across his heavily tattooed torso. His ink includes, but is seriously not limited to, the word Odin, a Norse god of war, which is inked above his left breast, and on the back of his neck a scroll listing the sins of pride, envy, gluttony, and lust. Born in Canada, Margaret Anderson grew up in Westfield, New Jersey. Attending Kansas State University, she earned a bachelor's degree in fisheries and wildlife biology, following that up with a master's degree in biology from Fort Hayes State University in Kansas. Margaret's first post as a ranger with the Park Service was at Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah, where she began working in 2000, and in 2004 met Eric Anderson, a fellow employee at Bryce Canyon. In 2005, she completed law enforcement field training and was married to Eric in a ceremony officiated by her father, a reverend. The couple had their first child, Annalise, in early 2008, and were then able to earn two open ranger positions at Mount Rainier National Park a rarity.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
2: Yeah, and had been serving there since 2008. Once stationed, Margaret, an EMT, also became the Emergency Medical Services Training Officer at Mount Rainier. And in May of 2010, the Andersons had their second daughter, Catherine. Anderson, a deeply religious person whose faith steered her toward law enforcement, was remembered as a, quote, skilled and dedicated NPS professional with a ready smile and a willingness to help both visitors and colleagues. Eric Anderson, a current ranger and former firefighter, requested a transfer off the mountain after Margaret's death. The park service moved he and their two daughters to Idaho, where he worked as a structural fire training specialist at the National Interagency Fire Center. Mount Rainier National Park reopened to the public on Saturday, January 8, 2012, one week after the shooting. Entry to the park was free for the day. Rangers wore black bands across their badges in memoriam, and the Rangers' kiosk's flag was flown at half-mast above a small candle-and-flower memorial dedicated to Ranger Margaret Anderson.
0: Oh, I got some tears going. Jeez.
2: (laughs) Park Superintendent King said, quote, Margaret was just a tremendous individual. It's just a horrible, horrible loss. Lee Snook, a park spokesman, said regarding the reopening of the park, quote, we're here to take back the mountain today. On Sunday the 9th, a candlelight vigil was held in Eatonville, where Anderson lived with her husband and daughters. The following Tuesday, Anderson's flag-draped casket was saluted by hundreds of rangers and officers in dress uniform after a procession of fire trucks and law enforcement vehicles made its way to an auditorium at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma. A letter from President Barack Obama was read at the service. Offering his condolences, he wrote, quote, we know that our nation has lost a good and brave ranger. Margaret Anderson was the ninth National Park Service Ranger to die in the line of duty. In September of 2014, the post office in Eatonville was renamed in her honor. A former ranger, interviewed for the brilliant piece, The Devil on Paradise Road, by Bruce Barcott, which was published in Outside Magazine, said, regarding Mount Rainier, quote, People come up here for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes they want it to be the last place they see.
0: That's an interesting perspective, actually. It being the last place people want to see kind of makes you wonder about him in the beginning
1: choosing that location. Mm. Yeah, since he had gone there as a kid, uh-huh. and it sounds like that ranger has maybe encountered other people that have gone there for specific reasons. So, yeah, that is interesting.
2: This past January was the 10th anniversary of Margaret's murder. Her parents on an Officer down memorial page said, quote, 10 years have passed and our dear daughter Margaret remains in our daily thoughts. She is held deeply in our hearts as she is held tenderly in our Savior's arms. If you would like to support our national parks with a donation or you just want some information, you can go to nps.gov slash get involved. Veterans are at a 50% higher risk of suicide than those who have not served. If you need help or know someone who does, please reach out to stopveteransuicide.org or contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at
1: 800-273-8255.
0: Well, that is super sad. Not only did they lose, like, the mother and wife, but, like, she clearly had a big impact on the people she worked with in the park in general. Like, she had a background that's very much needed as a ranger. It's not that common.
2: And very much living her dream. Yeah. I mean, everyone everyone says that, oh, my God, I'd love to be a park ranger. I'd love to be a park ranger.
1: And it's hard to get.
2: And and I think it's a really hard job, too. It's harder yeah. than people expect. But, yeah, it's very hard. But she was she was just so educated and so trained.
0: I'm struck by the amount of confrontation that park rangers have to do because a lot of their job is, like, getting people to follow the rules. Yeah. Like
2: public disorders. Yeah. yeah.
0: I watched some show on it, and I just felt so bad for
1: the guy that was like, guys, let's not litter here. <laughs> Yeah, well, and there's also kind of a rent a cop mentality yeah. from people. It's like, oh, you're not a cop, you're just the ranger. And it's like, they're highly they, trained. Yeah, they're like Mother Nature's cop. Hello, they're pretty Well, protecting those the jobs are hard us. to get.
0: It's a government job, so there's a lot of ropes you have to go yeah. through. Yeah, they're federal law enforcement agents. <laughs> yeah, I, officers, I looked into yeah. a job at that actually for a summer be- while I was in college. That's common for archaeologists to go into that work. Yeah. That, wow. That was that was hard. That was a sad one because I really do empathize with what he might have been going through.
1: Yeah. And for her, it's like she's just going to work and then she's hearing that there's something going on. Doing and her that's job. my job. And, so I'm going. And, and that's then, the type of person she was mm-hmm. to take action. And for him, it's like, here's this young guy who like we constantly here just slipped through everything it it sounds like there was some mental health stuff how mm-hmm. did that get past military I think that speaks to or it was because of his time in the exactly. military. exactly but it's also like doesn't that speak to how people can be affected by that kind of situation because he didn't even go, to, go to war
0: yeah I was gonna say even without going to war you still experience yeah things. and that's
1: not to say that being in the military caused that in him or something but Obviously, the the combination of all of these things something, got him to where he was. Happened. And it's like, is that just the fact that he's around an environment that's so weapons-focused?
2: I don't know his background beyond him being from Riverside. Hmm. So that's all That's all the information I can get. So there get.
1: could be
0: a whole other story that's what I wonder. His childhood. I mean,
2: as, as, early as, it, as early as you can get is that he was expelled from high school. Yeah. Mm. So I'm sure there were some things before that. Who knows what, well, they, what they were. Well, and kids expelled
0: from high school usually is disruptive behavior Uh which is caused by something else. So
1: So within like what seven to five years from being expelled and having restraining orders and abuse allegations and all of these things still able to go buy a gun still able to go do all that and then yeah ends up frantic. You're 24 that is so young and you've lost your partner and your and your child even even if it was at your own hand of abuse you still lost them. Not
0: excusing what he did but like you could see why he cracked almost without even knowing that much about his childhood yeah
1: and I think there's a difference between pitying someone for their last hours being frantic and out of control and painful Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I'm sympathetic right doesn't mean it's oh poor guy it's like that's your bed and you are literally laying in it but how sad that it didn't it couldn't go another way. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I think he was he was on a downward spiral because mm-hmm. yeah. and I read and I couldn't confirm, but I read a couple places that the, the house that he was staying at where he had his guns and stuff was just a place he was crashing at. He was actually homeless at uh, the time. So it was it looked like everything was kind of falling apart yeah. around him. I and
0: mean, yeah. it's easy to not see a way out of that yeah. and just mm-hmm. be like, well, guess I'm going to go guns
1: blazing. Yeah. Yeah. The second something happens and, mm-hmm. and goes bad, it's like, I'm out of here.
0: Because he d- literally pr- saw no other option. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, at least what I would think, yeah, could have happened.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I figure too. Once he, once he pulls out a rifle, shoots at a park ranger. He knows. He believes that yep. he has to die in some way. He's mm-hmm. going to die. I'm sure.
1: Do you happen to know anything else about any of the other park rangers that have died? I just, I don't, I don't know that I've ever thought of that. So I don't know that, if that number seems really high or really low. I didn't look up the other ones. No, uh, no. Okay. That and I don't know if
2: those were, if those were, uh, it could be... law enforcement rangers. Yeah, it could. Oh, all... uh-huh. It could
1: also be like animal attacks yeah, exactly. or falling off. Yeah,
2: of, climbing yeah. stuff. Cliffs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe that's why I thought it'd be higher because it does seem so yeah. so dangerous that you would. Naturally it did say be exposed
2: it, it did say in the line of duty. So I assume that might just be law enforcement related. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Though they, I mean, they serve the park. They serve the. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know. Mm. But be an interesting thing to look into.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was a, it was a case that I stumbled upon just a couple of weeks ago from a, a book that I ordered online, and, yeah, and I just felt compelled to write it. Interesting. <laughs> I had, I I've really never to, yeah. heard it. What was the book? Uh, oh, the book is called The Darkest Places, and it's uh, a compilation of articles from Outside Magazine.
0: Oh. So,
2: yeah, there's many great stories in there. There's there's one about the uh, the Vancouver feet. You know the feet? Yep. There's one of those. That'll be an upcoming story,
1: I'm sure. Definitely (laughs) will.
2: Um, And so, yeah, it's a a great book. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. And, uh, boy, Outside Magazine does some great writing.
1: Cool. We'll put it on our murder reads at murderintherain.com.
0: A
2: helicopter with an infrared camera camera Cramer. Crammer. crammer a crammer's is where i cram it up there yeah oh boy. take pictures of it no up thank there. you whatever I'll it pass. is just up it was found submerged in,
0: submerged in a water.
2: the purpose the parp <laughs> <laughs> the it's purpose, a purpose.
0: I saw a tiktok video of someone taste testing a costco hot dog and a sam's club hot dog and i'm like this is my kind of content <laughs> Because she was doing it in Costco. Oh my god. So she had to have smuggled a Sam's Club hot dog. What, so, which one won? Costco, obviously. They have a better <laughs> bun, a longer hot dog. She did say the snap on the Sam's Club oh. one was good. I don't personally like a snap. I love a snap. <laughs> Get me into that snap.
2: I want to crack into an intestine sausage. <laughs> Render the pig to nothing. Pour it into a tube. Any hot dog will do, baby. I love them. Where the hell was I? That talking about hot dogs?
1: Yes. <laughs> You're at the hot dog part of the yeah, story. Yeah,
2: the SWAT team's eating hot dogs.
1: It was a premeditated hot dog burp. <laughs> it's my body
0: knows Costco is coming. <laughs> Better prep. Start making room. <laughs>
1: I gotta,
2: I gotta read the words. We, what are you, Emily? And waited for the pursuit
0: your Frenchy words, <laughs> Ouija.
2: Did that sound okay? Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. <laughs> my left eye is so blurry now. Like my, my
1: left eye is wonky. My That's right eye is my fine.
2: My left eye is Lopez.
0: <laughs> Girl, did you really put the words Ouija planchette that I have to say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like the area code in Tacoma?
1: Of course. Fun well, fact.
0: Sorry that I am who I am. You're worldly, you can't help it. Traveled as far as Tacoma, Washington. (laughs) But that's the case I'm doing. No. Yeah? Just kidding. Oh my god. The way you held your face that long.
1: (laughs) I read a whole book this week for a story. I'm very proud of you. It sucked and it was long. It was almost four hundred pages.
0: Do you need a back rub? Yes.
1: Fuck.
2: And a popular snow play.
1: Snow. Snow play. That's a real cold play. Oh my God. Thank you.
2: Hey, yeah, 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 Enough. Oh yeah, enough. Oh
1: God. The With J Lo. Love
2: that movie. Yeah. Y'all are. Creeps. I've seen it so many times. When we were in New York <laughs> together, we watched it a few times on the TV. A was few
1: on, times. It was on constant. Like we'd go to like get dressed to go Y'all to dinner. Are perverts. Yeah.
0: Y'all watch Titanic? (laughs) Yeah. They're hilarious. No wonder you're in love.
1: Hey, how you feeling? You know, what's up? And he's like, I've just been laying here watching Titanic. I'm like, I "I have tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh, I walked across the Brooklyn Bridge and had like a pivotal life moment that changed a (laughs) lot for me. And
0: And a selection of hot dog stands. (laughs) A collection of hot dog stands. (laughs) My favorite paradise. That's why I watched a Go Show band. I love hot dog wieners. (laughs) (laughs) I do, though. Uh, I'm going to go to Costco later.
1: Oh, but
2: don't even get me started.
1: (laughs) Two of those, you're full for weeks. Uh, Beavis Clooney.
2: If you've attended the MTV Movie Awards, you're a celebrity. My God, isn't Garfield a celebrity?
1: Get it right or pay the price. Is Heathcliff not an icon?
2: With the fourth... Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) My laugh was, now you know what nah. we go
2: through. <laughs> do-da, <laughs> do-da.
0: Now you know
1: what we go through when we read a script.
0: <laughs> the sources, nobody opens them. They clearly link to 17 magazine articles. <laughs> About the time my
1: boyfriend pulled my tampon <laughs> out. He when he thought it was my string bikini string. My, I was insane my jean shorts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Daisy Dukes oops. <laughs> It's absolutely fucked. (laughs) (laughs) You're silly. Thank
1: you. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at k-y-f-i-f-e-r dot com.
0: Leash, I'm in a real pickle. Oh no, what's up? Well, now that I've cut caffeine from my life, I'm wanting to try new coffees, but I'm specifically looking for something with small batch roasting that's woman-owned and has a paranormal theme. Wow,
1: that is incredibly specific. But you won't believe this, I know of a coffee that fits all of those needs and is owned by Portlanders. It's Sinister Coffee and Creamery. Coffee and Creamery? That's right, throughout the year, the ladies at Sinister Coffee and Creamery work to make creative, spooky, and delicious coffee. And from April to November, they make small batch, rolled, and Philadelphia-style ice cream, which they serve at the PSU Farmers Market every Saturday. I love this
0: decaf coffee. Its flavor is so robust, it's hard to believe it was decaf. Not only do I love the taste, but the adorable Ouija planchet inspired packaging and clever names like
1: Premonition, Apparition, and Relic. So mark your calendars for the PSU Farmers Market in April, where we just might show up to scoop. To get your hands on their delicious coffee, you can follow them on IG at SinisterCMC and visit SinisterCoffeeandCreamery.com. When you order, use code MIR10 for 10% off. That's SinisterCoffeeandCreamery.com with code MIR10 for 10% off.